I'm Karen Lewis, and welcome to Recovery Bites, a show that gets real about recovery, where we welcome voices in the field and voices of experience. Join me for candid interviews with experts in eating disorder and mental health recovery. Listeners can look forward to new perspectives, meaningful conversations, diverse connection, and compelling personal narratives that make a powerful difference in how we live. Episodes focus on life beyond recovery, the good and the not so good, the successes and the challenges, and the authentic accounts of recovered lives. Not their whole story, just bites. All right, everyone, here we go. This is a really wonderful episode. My guest for today is Teresa Schmitz, and we talk about what it's like to be diagnosed with an eating disorder in mid-life. She is an incredible soul. I'm really honored to have her on as a guest. And as usual, let's just jump right in. Here we go. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Recovery Bites. I am really honored to have our guest today. Today, we are going to be talking with Teresa Schmitz. Teresa, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's it's my true honor to be here. I'm honored to have you here because we're talking about something that isn't unique, except for the fact that it's not talked about. So it feels unique. And we're talking about eating disorders in midlife. And your your story is wonderful. What you've been doing over the few years is wonderful. Please share with the listeners a little bit about yourself. Yeah, thank you. So I was diagnosed with my own eating disorder just three weeks shy of my 46th birthday. So definitely in that midlife. Um, and um, as we'll discuss in our podcast uh, together, uh, more to come about that. Um, so through that journey, I discovered and really went back to my roots where I actually pursued through my recovery, I pursued to become a certified coach. And so um, I now am helping those who want to become more body accepting, obviously not the therapy side of things, but just wanting to now live in that life, seeking after um, they've recovered. And now I want to go live and thrive in my life. And so it's just exciting for me to, to be able to have my own story in midlife of being diagnosed and recovering or recovered, excuse me. And so now I'm, I'm coaching on the side. In addition, um, I do have a full-time job in corporate America. So I'm in the IT uh, function at my organization. And I actually just moved into something that's equally as exciting for me. It's, it's all around change management in the corporate space. So, you know, my coaching is all about change and women who want to change and become more accepting and practice self-care. And then in the corporate world, I'm helping manage through change, through coaching and training and communications through corporate changes that are happening. So they really go hand in hand. I feel like the, the, the world really served those up nicely, um, all because, again, I was diagnosed and chose to go through the path of recovery. 
So that's a little bit about me professionally. Personally, I'm married to my college sweetheart. We have two adult children, um, and young adult children, and then we have this five-year-old golden doodle pooch who we got right in the, the messiness of right before my disorder or my eating disorder diagnosis as well. So he keeps me busy and uh, just the love of our family now that our adult children are slowly moving away from home. It's, it's, a, it's an incredible story because as I said, it sounds unique, but I don't think it's even acknowledged that they are just starting an eating disorder or have had an eating disorder for many years and it's just getting diagnosed in midlife. So one of the things that you've talked about and and it is, you know, part of an eating disorder when things aren't going well on the inside if we're struggling, we try even harder to make our external look shiny and perfect and you said on paper I had it all. I had the job title. I had the career. I had the big house, the big family. Like you kept, you were talking about all these things that you had and yet it was never enough. And so can you just sort of say a little bit about your journey, about, about how for you, you got here? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so glad you asked. Um, you know, really, um, it was about like accumulating more and more and more. And really, it stemmed from not feeling good enough, right? And so trying to get that approval from um, my father, actually, um, just to, to prove that I had made something. So yeah, I I really dove into my career early in my 30s. It was kind of like, oh, look at me. Now I became the breadwinner of, of the house. Um, you know, oh, I want the next title. I'm a manager. Now I want to become a director. And, and I want the next um, biggest thing. Oh, we're going to move. I want the biggest vacation. And just always externally feeling like that was good validation because inside, I didn't feel good enough, right? I, I felt like I was too fat. Uh, I didn't fit the criteria of being a quote unquote good leader because boy, she's fat. How, how'd she get her job? And so just really diving into that um, place of material things, just accumulating. And, you know, in college, it was getting the 4.0 in, 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 navigating through the career, it was getting the right title. And actually right before my diagnosis, I had made a decision to move into an individual contributor role, meaning I was going back to, you know, contributing as an individual, not managing a team. I'd been managing people for about eight, nine years at that point. And it, it was a huge actual struggle of mine at, at the time, because again, my whole identity was coming from a title and the pay and everything else that came with it. And actually in hindsight, it was the best thing that I ever did was to move into that because then I then could focus on my recovery and that journey. And obviously then lose the material labels, so to speak, that I needed to go through. Like I needed that exact experience to go through to get me to be reco become recovered, right? Is, um, you know, becoming that individual, going through what it felt like. I mean, I was just beside myself. Um, and then shortly thereafter, I was diagnosed. And again, all things happened for a reason. But yeah, it, it was um, pretty much 
the labels of we're giving me the gratification and really feeding into wanting to continue that um, at all costs, my health, my family life, you know, everything else. And just correct me if I'm wrong, before being diagnosed with binge eating disorder, in which, by the way, addresses the whole person, meaning what's happening internally, what's happening externally, everything was, you just need to go on a diet. Weren't doctors were like, you just need to go on a diet. The, you need to go on Weight Watchers. You need to go on OA. And that added to the distress. So can you share a little bit about that? How, how you were, you know, you weren't being treated as a whole person in that sense. Yes, uh, that did happen to me. So, you know, I talk about in my book that's going to be coming out here, where in 2011, I was, you know, 40, just turning 40. And I went to my general practitioner who, at the time, my dad had, um, uh, had passed away from a heart attack earlier, a few years earlier. And she made a comment about like, you don't want to be like your dad. You don't want to die young. He had had his first heart attack at 40. I was 42. I was turning 40. She said, you know, you got to lose weight. Um, so come back in three months. Um, so I did, did dreadfully because I knew I'd gain, like she told me to do Weight Watchers, whatever I gained. I came back three months later to check in with her and I had gained weight and I felt like I extremely disappointed her. She, you know, she insisted like you have a, an unhealthy relationship with food. But when she said that, I didn't know what that meant. She just said it like a statement and I internalized that. Like the problem is me. I don't know how to eat. I don't know how to do a diet actually is a lot of what was internalizing. So she sent me to a therapist who actually referred Weight Watchers. So I was like, okay, I'm going to do this once and done. Um, you know, I, I'm going to, this is going to be it. So I, I signed up, was gaining weight a little bit during that time and just always being told that, you know, you need to diet. And fast forward about five years um, I was like, oh, I'm going to, this will be my last ditch effort that now a general practitioner had moved to a different portion of the same clinic in which uh, she was now in charge of like a weight loss program. Um, and so I was like, I'm going to do it. Like, this is it. And so I pursued her out. Um, she put me on an appetite suppressant, unfortunately. Uh, she said they needed to treat my obesity where my BMI was at the time. Like I like a chronic illness, just like my asthma. And so she gave me this appetite suppressant and I kind of had this funny feeling about it. At like, I was like, hmm, okay, but this is it. Like I, I got to lose the weight and I'm going to really um, impress her. Like, this is going to be it, right? Like this is the end to be all. And through that journey, I was on it for about a year and um, she started weaning me. And once again, she told me, you have an unhealthy relationship with food, but again, like left it just as a blanket statement, did nothing about it at that time. Um, and so anyway, just that constant being told you need to lose weight. And at the same time, by the same doctor, like you have an unhealthy relationship with food. It just, I didn't know what to do with that. Again, it was like, I'm at fault here, she was saying I was gaining weight again, being weaned from the appetite suppressant. And so um, 
you know, it just felt like I was the problem. My body was the problem. Coupled with that, my gynecologist, who had been my gynecologist since I got pregnant with my daughter in 1998, um, she had always been telling me to lose weight along the way too. It was always about the weight, even like it was, hey, you're in your 30s, you know, it's going to be harder in your 40s. You know, now it's going to be harder in your 50s. Just ask your mom. And it was always every, I mean, you know, after I had my children, I just saw her once a year right, for that annual visit, and it was always about the weight, so I had these two women doctors who I respected at the time telling me, you need to lose weight, like it was loud, and so I always felt like, yes, it was about me, I don't know how to lose weight, I'm failing, I'm a diet dropout, or whatever the term was, but always internalizing that, that it was about me, even though the one doctor kept said twice over you have an unhealthy relationship with food but I had no idea what that meant at the time like she didn't refer me to an eating disorder assessment or intake process and I really wish our medical community had more knowledge about that because I would have saved myself a lot of distress during those five six years before I was diagnosed Can I interrupt for a moment and ask you, because you were just saying about the medical community, you wish they had more of an understanding. What was, besides your weight, that they were basing this, you're going to have a heart attack? Like, were there medical complications that you were experiencing? Was, did they, were your labs out of whack? Did they do EKGs? Like, we have this horrible myth that weight gain is dangerous and unhealthy, yet there's no evidence and it is not true. And so was was there anything medically that was saying, you know, due to your weight, there could be a, a, a cause and effect of a heart? Like, do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. Cause I think that's, you know, um, something to consider. Like when you say, when you were saying about thinking of the whole person, um, at the time, it it seemed to be all driven by a BMI, which I now know only because of my recovery through the EMILY program. Like, I know that that is not the right way to measure health. But again, at the time, I was like, these are doctors who went to school. They know better. They they would show I was always in that red spot back in the day when they posted on the wall. Um, and so it was Um, the factor of the BMI, my dad's history is what they were, this particular doctor was saying. And then um, I think at the time I maybe did have high blood pressure, but not high cholesterol, not anything related to um, the heart at that time. In fact, that same doctor told me to go get a heart calcium score at the time when when I could at age 40, that was the earliest they would do one. And like my score was zero. (laughs) at that time since then I've had um, since discovered 10 years later that I do have some heart things going on due to hereditary factors my current doctor feels yet at that time there was not anything heart related going on she just kind of scared me into thinking my weight was going to definitely lead me down to the path of heart attack I mean I used to be fearful of that path, right? Just knowing my dad's history and then her telling me that. And and it is true. We are, well, I don't want to say we, I don't want to speak for everybody, but I know typically when I'm in a doctor's office, I'm feeling pretty vulnerable. And I 
like you said, they go to school for this. And I listen to what people say, especially when I'm sitting on a, on a table with a little Johnny on and they're, you know, they're talking to me about what I should and shouldn't do in my life. And so I'm not surprised. Say then how you transitioned, what got you to the Emily program, what happened while you were there. And we never really haven't really discussed what was the function of the eating disorder for you, because that's the work that you had to go through. Yeah. Um, so what led me to the Emily program? That's also a great question. So I sought out in a about March of 2017, I sought out uh, a different therapist, like my other therapist who the doctor had referred me to, she left and I had like, then the next one left and there was a lot of turnover. So I sought out a different facility um, and sought out a, a therapist. Her name was Mari. Like uh, she told me on our first, um, our first meeting, you pronounce it like Ferrari. And I was like, oh, she's so cool. Uh, so uh, I started meeting with her in March that year. And, you know, through our conversations, you know, I was diagnosed with generalized anxiety. So we were working through that. And then it was about the fall um, when my daughter was going away to college about August timeframe, I guess she was heading to college and I was just really suffering and I was suffering from, um, you know, the, the weight gain that was happening because I was being weaned from the appetite suppressant. So there was body things coming up. And Mari said to me in one session, maybe even two sessions, because I saw her like every other week, she said to me, you know, you want to have an unhealthy relationship with food. And I was like, hmm, third time I'm hearing this. However, with Mari, bless her heart, she said, I think you should pursue getting an assessment at a very minimum at the Emily program. Um, she said, you know, and, and I had remembered that she at one time in one of our therapy sessions, very briefly, right, because it's never about the therapist, um, she had said something about how she had suffered from bulimia or something. And so I kind of figured she knew something <laughs> about that being a therapist as well. And so she actually gave me like what to do with that statement of you have an unhealthy relationship with food. She made it feel like it wasn't so much about me. Like she gave me the resource. So I actually, I think it was like the next, very next day, I went on their website and I was like, hmm, I, I don't know about this, but I, I did get the courage to pick up the phone. I called them and they were like, well, the one location was really, really full. So we'll get you into this other location. And I went like a week later, I think it was, and filled out like all the questionnaires, like how many times do you like eat more than your, you know, normal uh, or like what would be considered normal quote unquote all these kinds of questions how much how much how often do you think about your body and want to lose weight I mean there was just so many questions like pages of these questions so I filled out that questionnaire and then kind of sat there and then the intake therapist took me back and asked like what was my relationship with my parents what was my upbringing all these questions and she got to the end of the hour and a half, and I was in tears a lot of the time um, talking about things. And she said, okay, well, I'm going to tell you, you actually have binge eating disorder. And I was like, hmm, not really had heard of it. 
my exposure to eating disorders was unfortunately, you know, the, the biased or prejudicial, like it's a teenage girl thing, especially a white girl. And so I was like, well, I don't really know what that means. And then I started to think, wait a minute, I answered a question wrong on that um, assessment. I, I like an eating disorder. My doctor told me I needed to lose weight and, and, um, you know, had an unhealthy relationship with food. So what is all this? And I was kind of confused, kind of ashamed, really leaving that appointment, not because of anything she said, but again, the, the eating disorder, really internalizing that. Um, and so then I, she told me before I left that there was, um, that I would need IOP, intensive outpatient uh, programming. And again, all this is new terminology. I was like, oh, wow. And she said, it's like four nights a week. It's three hours a day. There's one that's going to be at the location that's close to you. So that's what you need. And in addition, like one-on-one -on -one therapy and dietitian. And so it was a lot to take in. So then um, I got the phone call from the, the other location and they were like, yep, we're starting next week on this such and such a date. Are you in? And I was like, hmm. And then I just, something inside of me just said, this is it. You gotta, you gotta do this. Like, this is a path I felt was going to lead me to good things at the time, not knowing at all what I was getting into. And so I did, I, um, in beginning of November, I started my IOP at the Emily program and I was in that for 10 and a half weeks, even though to going into that again, because I, I didn't Google, I didn't research or do anything. I kind of just sat with this, trying to take it all in um, and showing up on that first day, I had an intake with a therapist and a dietitian. I still kind of thought I was going into a diet plan. Like, unfortunately, just I'd been years of adult dieting and always being told to lose weight that the Emily program, I unfortunately thought was going to tell me, here's exactly what you need to eat when you need to eat it. And, you know, and you're going to lose weight. And unfortunately, that's what I went into the programming thinking it was going to be. And obviously, that is not at all what it was. Um, you know, it, yeah, there was lots of peeling back the layers. Uh, and I think, to back to your additional question about what my eating disorder really was for me, I think it was that, like, it coupled with my anxiety. I, I still, to this day, try to manage through my anxiety. But my eating disorder really came in to help like soothe that to soothe all of the life's pressures plus the anxiety and the constant like oh my gosh I'm going to get in trouble for this oh my gosh if I don't do this at work this is going to happen my boss won't like me the perfectionism the the never enough all of that was my coping mechanism I didn't learn healthy coping mechanisms at all or or not enough um, and so that was just my choice to soothe when the going got tough. Um, yeah. And so I think that purpose was really to help me cope with the fundamental thought process of not feeling good enough and just the anxiety of the brewing anxiety of all of what was happening in life. And just like, if I didn't get a certain promotion, I remember applying for a, a certain position and not getting it. 
and just because it was the next director title and thinking I deserved it and just that then it was time to soothe when you know I I just didn't want to deal with those heavy feelings I didn't know how to effectively deal with heavy feelings like sad and, and really unfortunately I think I learned somewhere along the way that the only feelings that are good and I'm putting that in quotes are the happy the joy the excitement you're not supposed to and again in quotes feel the sadness the anger the upset the disappointment like you need to avoid those and just shove them down and so again that my eating disorder served the purpose of helping me manage through all of that I didn't know how to effectively do that I'm wondering if there's people right now that are listening who are saying, I don't get it though. I'm in midlife. I have children. I have a career. I have a partner. I don't have time when you said four days a week, three hours a day, plus a dietitian, plus individual therapy. How were you able to incorporate that? Because that, I, that's what I'm imagining right now. Yeah, that initially was my response too. I, when she said four nights a week, three hours a day, I was like, I have a full-time job. Like, you're kidding me. And on top of that, I got a kiddo in college. I had a kiddo at home in high school. I've got a marriage. I'm a, I'm a friend. I'm an aunt. I'm a sister. I'm all this. And I got a career to keep building, right? <laughs> and so, you know, I, there was just something so deep inside of me that knew this was the right path though. And like I, what started to happen is, you know, it bubbled as like the most important thing for me at the time. And so just the other things just got done or didn't get done. Like the house maybe got a little bit messier <laughs> or like my son uh, stepped up to do to do things. So yeah, I, I thought the same thing. Like, I don't have time for this yet. It was exactly the priority I needed to put forward in, in hindsight, I kind of think, boy, maybe I could have coupled that and asked for a little bit of, um, um, leave, uh, you know, women or men when they're diagnosed with another health condition like cancer, or, you know, they have a heart attack or something, they, they um, don't have any issues asking or, or that's granted automatically. And so in hindsight, I was thinking, boy, maybe it would have been good for me to take a couple weeks off of a leave of absence or try to do part-time. But again, I was trying to prove <laughs> myself early on in the diagnosis that I, I could do it all. <laughs> that, I, I, there's so many places I want to go. And I, I didn't mean to cut you off, but now my next question is, I'm also imagining people saying to themselves, yes, and I'm not like Teresa. I can't go to a program where it's all teenage white girls, anorexia. Like, what were you exposed to? And and please, everybody hear me. I am not disregarding teenagers that are white with anorexia nervosa. I mean, that was my story. But it is it is difficult as an older woman or person with binge eating disorder to say, yeah, I'm going to show up in this world 
and I'm going to get the treatment that I deserve. So how was that for you? Yes. When I first showed up to my IOP at the one location, um, the office manager, when we were arranging like the time and getting me all signed up over the phone, she had said that there was three other people with like diagnoses, which at the time I didn't realize was kind of unique. Um, learning, you know, through my own recovery journey and hearing other people's stories that is a little bit unique. So yeah, I walked in and actually that all four of us were middle-aged. In fact, I might've been the youngest of the four of us. So, you know, 46, I was to maybe they were like 55-ish, you know, so there was four of us and we all had binge eating disorder, uh, which was kind of, like I said, ironic. And, um, you know, that was IOP, but then we, I think it was a couple of weeks in, we would add, you know, people would come be added. There was a wide range. By the time I graduated 10 and a half weeks later from IOP, we had all ages and ranges of diagnoses and you didn't concentrate on, in treatment, you didn't concentrate on, oh, this is all about binge or this is all about anorexia or bulimia or the other um, diagnoses. It was just, hey, we're all here to heal our relationship with ourselves, our body, our food, um, and all the other layers around that, surround that. So it wasn't so much about the diagnosis. It was more about recovering from food, body, and, you know, self-concept. So now, if it's okay, I'd like to sort of make a heart turn, and I want to talk about your book, which is wonderful. The title is, It Was Never About the Cake, A Middle-Aged Woman's Journey of Overcoming an Eating Disorder and Discovering Her Best Self. Love the title really loved the book, Teresa. It was, it was amazing. Tell the listeners how you decided to write this book, what it was like for you. And correct me if I'm wrong, I feel like you're tearing up a little bit. So what's happening? Yeah, thank you so much for the compliment. Um, I am tearing up a little bit. It is something that I've always I had this passion around writing and actually I would recommend to anyone out there who is starting or in the middle of a journey to, to journal. You will have no regrets about journaling. You will learn so much about yourself. Anyway, I off and on had been a journaler um, as a kid and then an adult actually a couple years prior. So anyway, I, I love to write and um, before all my diagnosis, I actually had wanted to write and publish a book. And I always told myself, but you don't have a story. And so I just kind of sat with that, sadly. Um, and then the pandemic happened in 2020 uh, with COVID. And it was actually when I really shifted into, hey, I feel like I'm recovered. I can say recovered, um, you know, as I'm, I'm now in a different spot. And anyway, I um, started in May. I had time on my hands, right? Um, I think we all did at that time, May of 2020. And I just started writing the first chapter of my book. Uh, I just wrote like nonstop. And I was like, this is a story I need to tell. Um, because again, when I was diagnosed, 
you know, back in 2017, I searched for books at the library. I love a physical copy of a book and going to the library. I don't so much anymore go to the library, but anyway, at the time, I felt like there wasn't as many geared towards my age or a positive recovery story. It was more um, a few therapists who had written books from their perspective. Um, So anyway, I just started writing and then I was like, I'm going to write and this is my book I'm going to publish. So I probably wrote it. I mean, I saved time in the early mornings before my job on the weekends. I just kept writing and writing and I gathered all of my journal entries um, and put portions of them throughout the book, which is very, very vulnerable for me because it's actually what I was saying to myself at the time when I was journaling. So I finished the book and then I think it was about July of that year, I was invited to be uh, share my recovery journey on the Emily program. And I was like, this is getting real. Now it's going to go public. I hadn't published any of my writings really. And so I um, thought I better, I had to tell my best friend. I hadn't even told her at the time about my diagnosis. And so then it just kind of kept catapulting of like, okay, I felt confident going into telling my story publicly. I now want to not have anyone else feel the shame because there is so much shame in an eating disorder. And I no longer have that shame. And at the time I didn't, that's when I really realized I, I recovered is when I wasn't feeling ashamed about my story because so much of our society, right, is about overweight people and there's so much shame and blame placed on them that I no longer had that anymore. And so I was okay sharing my story. So long story short uh, was that, yep, I decided I would do it at that time. And then I had to figure out I could work with to publish. I got some quotes of some very expensive paths of of publishing it. And I just was like, ooh, that's a lot more than I can afford. So I took this path of getting in touch with a friend's friend. So a coach friend of mine had a friend who has actually published her own book, uh, several books, has her own publishing uh, firm. And so I got in touch with her this year. And yes, we're going to publish it in October, October 27th, the anniversary, five-year anniversary of my diagnosis. The The way I came about the title was kind of some soul searching. I, I had about 40 titles. Actually, I laugh now. <laughs> um, the overachiever of me uh, was like, oh, I've got all these 40 titles. I started to ask people about them. I dialogued with uh, somebody about it. Um, and then I really recognized that really an eating disorder to me is never really about the food itself. And I had a chapter that I had written um, about my cake experience and actually overcoming it during one of my IOP uh, sessions where we always had to bring in our own meal and a dessert. And my dietitian had talked to me about bringing in a cake for the week and actually portioning it up. And so it was really my journey of overcoming and, and removing the pedestal that a cake was on because uh, a cake had always been on this pedestal and a forbidden food for me and something I would binge. So I was like, wow, it's never about, it was never about the cake, right? I was like, oh, ding, that's the title. And then I worked with illustrator, uh, a graphic designer to do the lovely uh, book cover that he did for me. Uh, that includes a balloon that kind of is signifying like I'm taking, I'm able to take the cake with me and it's not the burden holding me back like I thought it was in my eating disorder world. So that's kind of how I settled on the, the, the title. It 
and it was all just came together. <laughs> I love the title, and I also love the part about discovering your best self. And we spend our lives chasing what we think is going to make us our best self. And it's typically, again, these external things. And it's not. It's about letting go of all of that and being your authentic self. And that's when we become our best self. Share a little bit about your coaching because it's called My Best Self Yet. And I just, I love it. And, you know, I am 52 and I feel like my life keeps getting better and better as I get older. And so I'm really, I just really feel like I personally can connect with that. Mm -hmm. And so share a little bit about the coaching. Yeah, thank you for asking that question. And so really where I landed on the title was, uh, because again, I came up with all these titles. This was about, I'd been coaching without a official um, business name of it since 2018. Uh, and it wasn't until 2020. Again, the pandemic gave me a lot of space to think and be creative. And I was like, you know, I felt like my best self yet when I recovered, like that was what I proclaimed. And so that's how I landed on this name. And then, you know, what I shared with my best friend, my best friend and I had been best friends since seventh grade. So I don't know how many years that is. We're 50 now. And so that's, I don't know, what was that like 12 or something? So that many years. <laughs> and when I shared with her, you know, that I had an eating disorder, um, and had that vulnerable conversation, I, I honestly thought, oh, she's going to just think all these things. I mean, and she thought none of that, right? And anyway, in talking with her, she's never suffered from an eating disorder herself. And she just said, oh my gosh, Teresa, like I know so, like herself included, so many women at this stage of life, we're going through menopause or perimenopause and our bodies are changing like you don't have to be having the eating disorder or diagnosed with one or recovered to actually suffer from body um, dissatisfaction, right? It, it's not just associated with a eating disorder. And so we got to talking about how, you know, I have an opportunity to help. You know, again, I, I would never claim, like I would never say, you know, don't get a therapist, just get a coach because you won't, you've got to deal with the therapy side of, really what's going on there. Yet there's this whole realm of women, I believe, that are out there that aren't suffering from eating disorder, but just really are dissatisfied with the changing body of a menopausal state of being. And, you know, just thinking of what it was like during my eating disorder and what my best friend has said too, is like, don't wait to live your life till you reach some size or your body does something miraculously. <laughs> as you're, you know, going through menopause, go live that life. And I think that's, you know, that's the key thing that I want women to take away is that, you know, you don't have to wait to reach a size because it's not about losing weight. You can be authentic. You can live your life. You can thrive in it and just go do like stop waiting for some day when you reach a certain pant size or reach a certain weight um, if you're struggling with that menopausal state of your body, you know, there is so much more to life. And so that's what really just excites me and why I ended up um, coming to the 
conclusion that I wanted to help that path. Again, I'm not looking to replace the therapist by all means. I know that they need to be be there. I just felt like in too in my journey, I got to a point where I did hire a coach so that I could go achieve my goals, right? These are the goals now I'm recovered and I want to go after them. And that accountability partner that she was for me. And so that's really what I want to do with the people who come my way too. So well, we we all thrive in connection and community. And so I'm hearing you say it does take a village, a therapist, a coach, a best friend, self, family. Like we we thrive like that. That's how we grow. So that's that's what I'm hearing you're you've created and and it's incredible, Teresa. It's really really incredible. Thank you. Yeah, that that word of tribe or sense of community, that's what I um, I've done group coaching too, um, around this topic and just more of the self-care and the, the inner critic kind of voice that's going on around criticizing your body. And you're right. It's all creating this sense of community and being surrounded by people who are like, want to be accepting of their body. I mean, if you're hanging out with people that are talking about their latest diet, you know, of course you're going to gravitate towards that versus if you're in this community in this sense of a tribe who want good things for you and you want those same things, of course you're going to thrive. And yes, it takes a, a, a community and a tribe, you know, the therapist, the dietitian I had, um, the, the colleagues I met in that programming, or if you'd call them colleagues, I guess, peers, the peers, the best friend, the husband, the, the sisters, whatever. Yeah, it takes certainly takes a village to, to uh, get, you know, healed and, and seek um, a recovered state. Teresa, I, I am so sorry to say that we are coming to an end because I could just sit here and talk with you for hours and hours. This, is, this has been wonderful. Is there anything before we end that I didn't ask you that you would like to share with listeners? Oh, that's such a good, first of all, thank you for, uh, you know, having me here and, and um, all the great questions you had. That is such a good question. I guess the only other thing I would add um, to that is just, you know, know that you are worthy enough to recover. It's possible. And, you know, again, just to reiterate the fact of seeking out the tribe that's going to help you and support you and be there because the journey is not an A to Z overnight. It's the 1970s phone cord that's swirly and goes backwards and gets all crumpled up. And know that that does not mean you are not recovering and not healed. It's just part of the journey. And it's a practice to accept your body. It's not a, again, I'm going to get to some destination and all life is going to be good. I'm never going to have anything come in my way. It's going to be a, a practice, just like a yoga practice every day waking up and choosing to accept your body and accepting uh, recovery and everything else that comes with it. Teresa, thank you. From the bottom of my heart, I want to thank you. Oh, thank you. I, it's been my pleasure to be here. Um, my true pleasure. So thank you so much for the great questions 
for really the deep connection uh, to the point of tears because of what you were saying. Um, and that's just, I, I almost wish this could be video, right? Because people would see that, but um, yes, thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you for being part of this. All right, everyone. That does it for another episode of Recovery Bites. I look forward to speaking with each and every one of you next time. Take care and stay safe. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode of Recovery Bites. Be sure to visit recoverybitespodcast.com to join the conversation, access show notes, listen to past episodes, and more. You can also find us by searching for Recovery Bites on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and major podcast streaming players. For weekly episode releases, you can follow us at at Recovery Bites Pod on Instagram. If you're interested in becoming a guest on the show or to submit a guest request, please visit KarenLewisEDC.com forward slash podcast signup to begin the process. I'd also like to send out a heartfelt thank you to my producer, Jen Galvin. It is unbelievable the magic she does behind the scenes. All right, everyone. See you next week for another Recovery Bite. Thanks for listening.